Hi, it's Saturday again. Uh, this is a series of interviews with members of the fetish community talking about Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. It is just an open discussion that looking at what sober play might be for the individual I interview. Today, my guest is, let me look at the profile name. It is Clyron Punk Chi. I may pronounce this wrong and he might correct me when I bring him in. Uh, but thank you for joining me and I'm bringing my guest in now. Hello. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you? Hot and sweaty. I just traveled on the underground for my friends and I literally walked in like 15 minutes ago, a quick shower and then on here. So, Pretty much the same, yeah. <laughs> how, um, how, well, how's the weather there? It's hot, yeah. <clears throat> uh, welcome. And uh, I'll, talk, I'll start with the four questions I mentioned in our text. Uh, the first question is, what do you prefer? I call you name, pronouns, and title. Um, I would say right now, Sir Matt. <clears throat> Sir Matt, I can do that. And what pronouns do you prefer? Uh, his and he, him. Yeah. He, him. Cool. Uh, tell me just a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm 41. I live in Chicago. Um, I'm a pianist, which is what clavier means. Um, and... Um, Let's see, I've been sober 16 years. Um, I, I love SM. I, I, I say I'm more an SM player than I am gay because I play with women. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, excited to be here. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, you've just said you're 16 years sober, but the next question is completely sober, clear-headed or social drinker? I'm assuming you don't drink. I don't drink, though. No. Fantastic. And the fourth can, question, though. sorry? <laughs> You can if that's what it takes for you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, yeah, of course, of course. Absolutely. It each to their own recovery kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, the last question, which is the fourth question, and it's just kind of to lead us into our conversation. Uh, what is clear play to you and why is it important? Yeah, so for me, it, it's all about, well, I'd say on the one hand, it's about consent, which is just sort of a moral thing. It just feels creepy to me if someone's not like, completely able to navigate like what we're up to and, and can they really say yes or no and all that shit. It just kind of feels creepy to me if, if that can't be clearly navigated. Um, but also it's just, it's just hot to be, to me, to be fully present with somebody and to, you know, to beat the shit out of them or to take pain or to, um, you know, just exchange the, the power dynamics that for me goes into SM. It's just, it's really hot if they're completely there and completely present and can actually feel everything that happens. Well, like, like the connection is so important, especially when it comes to power play and, and giving pain, because if you can't get into their head and make them want to take more, if they're just completely numb to what you're doing, right. it's not going to work. Right. I've, I've definitely played with puppies or boys where they said they weren't into pain, but three hours later their ass is bright red and they're really proud of themselves <laughs> and that's yeah. so important yeah i have the same experience a lot with chastity where so many people when you say chastity they're like oh no no no, no i don't do that but if you actually start to talk to them about like well 
Have you ever been fucked and not touched yourself? Like almost everyone says yes. You know what I mean? I find with submissives. And so I can just sort of push that line further and further. I was, and, I was and, about to say most recovering addicts have got, done that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> There's For not sure. much going on down there when you're high. So, <laughs> so that's actually quite, quite something because one thing I found, especially becoming sober and, and clear headed afterwards is my, um, need to actually climax or come is actually not that present. I'm much right. more interested in seeing my partner come than myself, depending on the dynamic, of course. But it's, I think for me, it's probably something I've just gotten used to over nine years of not being able to come in a play scene. It's just kind of taking back seats. I'm, I'm very satisfied if my partners come. That's almost enough for me. Yeah, uh, for me, it depends on the scene and the roles and everything. Um, I, uh, I have a past as a slave and, and I've gone like weeks and months um, without coming, without actually even touching myself mm. as a slave and um, completely sexually fulfilled, completely. Uh, now, when I play as a dom, which is mostly what I play these days, um, it's a completely different story, <laughs> completely different story. <laughs> There's something about the energy of being a dom that I really like to come. So, um, I, I looked at your profile. There's a lot on there, like on the recon profile. I've looked a little bit on your Instagram. Beautiful piano player. Um, there's so much to dive into there. It's like, where does the piano come in and the fetish? How does that merge for you? And like, you, you are four, six, 16 years sober, that, which is amazing. I'm coming up to three years next month. Uh, so, I'm way behind you, but of course, it's, it's all depending on your experience and so on. How do you find, especially nowadays, because you got sober before Grinder and Scruff and all that navigation, how are you finding it as a sober person now? Because it is so much more prevalent. Um, okay, so um, uh, by day, I'm a techie. I'm a hacker. I'm a professional hacker. And... Um, my, um, as a young kid, I, I played online in IRC and, and um, BBSs and, and all these kinds of things. And so actually, my story is not different. It, you know, the, the, it just wasn't apps. We actually use computers. Um, <laughs> but my entire using history was all on websites. Um, and one of the things I tell people, especially people I mentor or sponsee that are getting clean and, and finding their sexuality, this side of, of PNP or chemsex um, is that those apps come and go. Like the, you may be so worried about this app and it triggers you, but it, it'll die in a few years and another one will replace it. And you'll be able to walk in there a few years, few years clean and the, none of the triggers will be there. Well, less of the triggers will be there. Um, oh, and you, I, I, I remember in early recovery that did it, it and the yellow screen. Oh my God, no, 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 I couldn't look at it. Awful. Yeah, yeah. So all the sites I use are long gone, all of them. So none of them trigger me at all in that sense anymore. So, well, that's good. That's very good. Uh, yeah. You play the piano? How long? Uh, since I was like four. Since you were four. So yeah. So Ten years ago, then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, I, during the course of my addiction, I lost it, and then um, I actually failed out of music school, and. Um, it's really hard to memorize like hundred page pieces when you're, you know, shooting up and having king sex all week, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, when I was like 10 years clean, all of a sudden I wanted to play again and I went and saved my money and bought a piano and it's all come back and, and that's been great. But um, yeah, sometimes I like to put on fetish gear and play big pieces and, and yeah, it's, well, it's a good juxtaposition. I, I was about to say to everyone who's viewing, check out his Instagram. It's very, it's very much something. You, you should definitely come to like Antwerp Lever Pride or Berlin because they do classical and fetish gear. I've heard of this, I've heard yes. of this. Yes, yes, I have friends who've played in it and there's some quite, um, some, a lot nice. of the, the, the people that play instruments are heavy geeks as well in private. So nice. yeah, you would fit in really well. With <laughs> yeah, when I'm uh, negotiating uh, with a new new boy or whatever, if I find out they're a musician, I'm like, this is gonna get dark. This is gonna get real dark, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I was listening to a couple of the pieces you were playing on, on your Instagram and some of them are very dark. It's yeah. very, very moody. Yeah. Very complicated. I'm just like, if you can move your fingers that quick, you must be an amazing fister. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm looking for more experience as a fisting top. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm sure, there's plenty of those. <laughs> so how how has um, you were in Chicago? There was no IML this year. How is and and you are one of the co-founding members of Lore, which is also an integrated part of, of IML. How, how was that for you to kind of like, I've like having to move what would have been in person to something online instead? Yeah, it's been completely surreal and painful. Um, it, 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 it's, it takes a lot of work to keep the community alive in these times. You know, it takes concentrated, you know, specific articulated work um, and, you know, we, we do what we can and we try and, you know, meanwhile, we're all our separate individuals trying to navigate the pressures we're all under and, you know, I have to work from home and that's not going well. And, you know, all of us are, are doing what we can. Um, but I have to say, meanwhile, we've had, at least in terms of lore, we've had a lot of people um, reach out and interested. We've seen a lot of people come into the rooms in Chicago, um, trying to get clean now. Um, and, and, you know, that's great. And I really anticipate when, um, you know, in a couple months or years or whatever the timeline is, that this oh, clears up a little years. bit, that, that um, the, uh, I feel like the, the community that renegotiates and comes back together will be all the stronger for having, you know, survived and been through this. Um, you know, we're, Laura, we're going to get together and do a socially distanced picnic in gear next week, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it would be something similar to what you're wearing now. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's too hot for full, full leather at the moment. It's, yeah. it's, I literally only have this shirt on and the chain. I, I'm not going to show you what the rest looks like. It's, oh, it's very limited. Come on. <laughs> I don't want Instagram to throw me off. <laughs> um, but, so you say 16 years ago, um, you said you were, well, you're, you're a professional hacker and you say your experience was very similar. It's just not apps. Right. Um, so just out of curiosity, 16 years ago, I'm, I'm not going to say how old I was, but uh, I, apps I think, is a thing for me. It's, it, that was kind of my, that's when it became dark for me. Sure. When did you know that you needed to address this and, and, and well, take it by its horns and, and get clean or clear-headed? Um, I, I had several different things happen. The first 
bottom, as I call it, you know, the first bottom experience I had was actually um, SM. Um, I was playing with this um, with this master, um, who, by the way, is now in prison um, for doing something we, similar, we, but even worse. We, we <laughs> yeah. make very clever choices when we're high. Yeah, um, and um, we had been up probably a week um, doing, you know, lots of crystal yeah. and whatever, and. Um, uh, he decided he needed something from the hardware store. God knows what we were doing. I don't know. And um, he handcuffed me to a radiator, and it was in the middle of winter, and he left for like two hours, not realizing that the radiator was hot and the handcuffs were metal. And so I, I got really burned, and I had scars for like 10 years all over my wrists um, from that experience. Um, and then I had a few other sort of uh, moments of, of clarity. Um, and then finally, for me, I just lost my mind. You know, I just went completely crazy, completely paranoid. Um, but I will say, I don't regret any of it at all. Um, you know, I grew up extremely conservative from one of the most conservative places in the US. And, you know, I showed up in this big kinky city that I live in, um, you know, wearing polos and khakis, you know, is <laughs> and, um, you know, within a few years, you know, I, I had let go of all this false stuff I had been taught that really didn't fit me. And I had started to explore this uh, kink fetish stuff that some of my earliest memories in life are, are really about power exchange and kink fetish. You know, literally some of my earliest memories in life, like wanting to be spanked and stuff like that. So, um, so I'm really grateful that it all happened because I feel like it just put me on you know, a faster path toward what would have taken me a longer time to find and, and navigate and negotiate. Um, you know, not that, you know, I've arrived now, but because um, I'm still growing and changing. I mean, you know, I spent, you know, like, like uh, my profile say, and like I was saying, you know, historically, I've been a submissive and, a, and a, even a slave. Earlier in this year, I was a 24-7 slave for two months. And um, it's, you know, having finally done that, which to me as a submissive is sort of the highest form of submission, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I went through that process and um, at the end of it, yeah, I was sad it ended, but all of a sudden I realized like, I had the secret desire that I had always wanted to be the master. I never felt like I had the skills, but having finally lived it day in, day out for, you know, for two months, I, I realized that, you know what, the, the fucking time is now, let's do it. So I think very much a lot of like slaves or boys or submissives become very good masters because they've experienced it. They know how the emotions are, the mental part of it. It's, it can be so dangerous for someone who has never, ever tried anything passive, submissive, because they have no idea. Well, some, some people are natural masters. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But in, in most cases, you need to try what you're doing. To, a, to a degree, uh, of course. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm not heavily into pain, but I can be quite sadistic. But I have tried some things. It's just not my own thing. As a submissive, I'm much more into mind games, which is one thing I'm still relearning because mind games and my mental health can be a bit of a problem. <laughs> It's, 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 it's a minefield, especially when, when you are in recovery, you kind of have to figure out what was the drugs and what was me. 
that, sure. that's the thing with fetish and, and i hear that quite a lot it's like a lot of people get into fetish when they're using right and then they come out and they either lose completely interest in it and that's perfectly fine but there are also a lot of people that still want to do it but don't know how to right um you know some of the things that um have come out of the work we've done in lore um is this um basically we treat iml almost like a roundup um, that happens to have kink and fetish, you know? So there's lots of meetings going on and there's an incredible amount of fellowship. Um, and, and, you know, over that weekend, lore becomes really worldwide. You know, a lot of us who stay in contact from across the world, spend time together and, and play together. And um, it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, sometimes I have sponsees who are terrified of IML or terrified of sexuality or terrified of kink, you know, because they're, Fifteen minutes off the pipe and and whatever you know, but you know what we can do, um, and part of what Laura's done is we take that as an opportunity to put these people in service. Like go fucking volunteer. You know we host these mocktail parties. You know come and be the bartender. And so you know you spend all your day surrounded by hot kinky men and women um, who are talking about positive sexuality as as you know clear headed people whether they're actually sober or not, you know, they're, they're supportive of the, of the sober community. And that is just unbelievably empowering, I think, to these people who are, you know, still struggling with feeling confident in their sobriety, feeling confident as a kingster, whatever. Um, the, the ability to freely navigate and experiment. Um, and, you know, I will say that um, it's really great when you find, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of not that person that I'm speaking about, but there are a lot of people who are much more playful and versatile. And I think they're wonderful, wonderful people for these people who are newly clean, figuring that stuff out. They can sort of try this and that, and there's no big deal. And it's not this big dramatic power exchange thing like I tend to do, <laughs> you know, but those people I love, um, they're not my playmates, but um, I feel like they're really important in terms of uh, helping these people navigate those questions. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's when, especially when drug taking is so connected to your sex drive and so on. Uh, I, I know many people in recovery that can't even gain, engage with lever or cigars and, and because it's just such a trigger point for me. And it's definitely also my story. It took me maybe two years of almost not doing fetish. And if I had done fetish, it was because I was relapsing. Um, and I, my, vivid, my first vivid memory of actually being excited by my outfit was sitting on the underground, groping my leather pants without realizing it. And I was just like, finally, I've split it. I can disconnected this, like my gear was almost my Achilles heel at one point because I, I just didn't like looking at it. It was triggering, it was uncomfortable. There was too many like uh, euphoric flashbacks all this crap. Not that I don't get that once in a while. I do. It's just what the way it is. I've definitely gotten it more in lockdown because that's just my brain going. He's not right. feeling great. We're going to give him something nice kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I know what it is now. I'm, I'm three years down the line. I kind of know what my brain does and what it doesn't do. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't panic about it as, as I used to. I would feel really bad about it last normally, but I'm as long as I talk about it and I and I address it. If I don't feel great, that's the main thing. It's the communication and reaching out that's the important bit. 
Yeah. Um, it, to me, it also brings up the importance of, um, you know, in recovery, there's this sort of trope around don't fuck people in the rooms, you know, and, and there's totally validity to that in a sense of you need to have your own safe space. But I also think it's important to find people who understand what you're going through, who can play with you and help, help navigate those things with you. Um, you know, when I was my first times at fetish events, uh, I, I waited five years before I re-engaged with fetish personally. Mm. Um, that was my sponsor's request back in the day. Um, and, and so I waited five years and basically what I did is I would go to leather events and I would go to the meetings and I would fuck everyone in the room. <laughs> like every single person. Don't say so. that in a meeting over here. You won't. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a funny thing because um, it's, some of the fellowships over here are quite new, especially when it comes to fetish and so on. It's a bit like walking in eggshells because you have to be mindful of the newcomer in the room because right. certain words and activities can be triggering and I, I respect that. It's only really in lockdown we've started engaging with a German meeting and a London meeting now that deals with sex, relationship and fetish, which I have shared out as well, which you've seen. Yeah. And, and it's so important to talk about it. It's not, we don't have to go into sleazy details. We don't have to explain the actions we did whilst we were high. It's just, sex is healthy. It, it's, and I, especially when it comes to chem sex, it can be problematic to kind of just shut off your sex drive because that yes. will lead you to acting out. Yes. You, you need, like, you need to take the steam off once in a while. Right, right. Yeah, the solution to, at least for me, the solution to healthy sexuality is not in putting it on hold, you know, because then you're just waiting to relapse, you know? Yeah. You, you have to, I mean, it's fine to wait a year if you want to. Sure, totally, that's fine. But after a year, you need to start working on how to integrate sexuality into your life or you're going to use again. I'm sorry, you will, unless you want to become a monk. Like, <laughs> and I, I would say my, my personal journey and, and my main relapse things were boredom and sexual frustration. Uh, one thing that helped me three years ago, I suffered with social anxiety and mild depression. And I went on anti-anxiety medication, which in a period took my sex drive completely away. Sure. So I wasn't interested in sex, which at that time really helped me. It's, 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 it just meant that I wasn't engaging with sex, so I wasn't engaging with drugs. And right. that worked for me at the time. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm much more like a level-headed now and, and, and I can engage with sex, but it's also with my ground rules and boundaries and certain things I won't do. Adam, I love you. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, uh, one, one of our mutual friends, Adam, just went every month, got big uh, blue balls. Yeah, we, we have a lot of blue balls in recovery sometimes, I think. But it's, it's one, one thing in uh, doing some of the, the CMA meeting and the 12-step meetings in lockdown has been amazing because, at least for a European as me, is seeing long-time recovery and proud fetish men from America because your kink sober scene is so different to the European one. Literally, there was none. And, and I, I, don't, I don't like patting myself on the back, but I, I kind of, because of I did Real Clear Fetish, which is not necessarily recovery, but it's just a start to introduce an alternative to, to drinking culture and the drug culture. Right. Not out to demonize anyone. I would never 
deny anyone membership as long as they respect all the members in the group. Um, but it has been a slow burn because it's so integrated in our culture that when you go to a fetish club, there's alcohol there or drugs. It's so normalized. It, that's interesting to me because um, I spent some years, um, uh, how to put it, let's just say I spent a lot of time in previous years um, with, with kinky women. And um, so I experienced the pan community and um, that, that linkage is not there in the pan community. It seems to be a queer thing. Um, like they consider it such a non-starter to have drinking at, during play at all. Um, I, I've never quite understood. I, I guess historically it makes sense for the, for the queer culture why that developed. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, in terms of the things you're talking about that exist in, you know, lower in Chicago or IML and, and LFK and, and Los Angeles, you know, all these things, well, I can speak to lore and, and IML. Um, these things came out of people like you and me um, just trying to stay clean, just trying to live our lives, just trying to be fetishmen. And, you know, lore started basically because, you know, my, my best friend and I lived together and um, I had a daddy and I moved in with him and I missed our time together. And there was something about our time together that I knew was key to my recovery, like just hanging out. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it was that it was that he was a kingster too. He was clean too. And we weren't just like sitting around reading like recovery literature. We were actually talking about how to like, you know, when you're a clean person and when going to a bar every week isn't necessarily the healthiest thing for you, how do you still be involved with, you know, for me, the Chicago Rubbermen or, or, or with, you know, various other clubs and events and, and be present and plug into these social networks that are important for us as, as kink players and as just queer men, you know, building community um, because it, it feels like some part of me tends to feel like I don't belong there, right? Um, but for me, it, you know, it comes back to ensuring that I'm there with the right motives and, and I know that there's someone else in the room that I can sort of check in with visually. Um, and, and it completely has changed the story and the experience for me. I mean, now I can't go anywhere in this, not just this city, I can't fucking go anywhere in the country without seeing somebody I know who's also um, either, in, either actively in recovery or is a supporter of the recovery community. And that, that has changed the entire experience for me because it, I just don't get triggered in those places. I just don't. I mean, if I, you know, I, sometimes I, I, I've been lucky to spend some time in France and, and there it's a different story because I don't know a bunch of people, but you know, I still have, you know, if I'm traveling with daddy or whatever, I still have people that I can check in with and I still, like text my friends back in the States who might end up being in a time zone that it'll work out, that they'll be, mm. you know, whatever, you know, but building that network and that community for myself, it not only helps the wider community, but it keeps me sane and alive too. So. Yeah. One, one thing I found, especially with some of the work I do with, with the Instagram account, my, my group and, and also just kind of being vocal about it. It's, of course, not, there's more to me than just recovery and, and all this, but it's it's important to me, especially when I have 21-year-olds writing me on Grinder, kind of going, I'm falling a little bit in the wrong direction. What should I do? And it's like, I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to tell them what to do, but I can tell them what my experience is. And it, it's, it's so important to... It, 
if if you're not comfortable be, being visible about your recovery, fine. That's your journey. For me, it's about taking something that was so negative in my life that almost killed me and turned it into something positive and empowering. And I find massive empowerment from hearing from guys I've either introduced to meetings or introduced going to their GP to just have a conversation with them, their doctor, or right. connected them to an LGBT charity that might engage with alcohol and chem sex services. And I have plenty of guys who come back to me. It's like, oh, I'm, I feel a little bit, I feel better now. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for taking your time. And also talking at their level. That's so yes. important. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I get a little angry sometimes. <laughs> um, because It's okay to get angry because that gets things, that gets just done. Because I, I mean, I've been, I've been in the recovery community so long that because um, it took, it also took me two years to get clean. So I've actually been in the community for 18 years. Um, that, you know, I have been positive since the mid nineties, since the drugs first came out and they first told us, oh, you might still live, you know? And, and I will tell you, I have been to 10 times more funerals of tweakers than people with AIDS. Yeah. Like, and I don't understand why we don't talk about it in the same way. Like this, this kills my friends. This kills my friends. And, and you know, it, 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 it's hard and it's painful, especially when I see these, like you said, 21 year olds who are like, Ooh, daddy, you're hot. You know, do you want to party? And I'm like, <sighs> yes, but <laughs> you know. not high. Leave it at home. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I, I had a bit of a like a clarity moment last night. I was I was on grind and someone wrote to me and he was quite good looking and he was like, Oh, I'm high and horny. And I was just like, he's in my area. When I was using, there was never anyone in my area. How dare they come around now when I'm playing? How dare they? Um, but it, it, it's also like, yes, it's, it's dark and, and it's horrible. And, and some of the shit I got up to, absolutely. But you also need to look back and fucking laugh. Some yeah, of sure. the stuff like sitting behind my bathroom door because I thought my ex was coming into the flat for two hours. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> like sitting there looking out the keyhole because I can hear him. It's, it's, it's when, when I tell that to a sober person who's never done drugs, they just look at me with terror. But for me, it's just like, well, it's a bit funny. My ex, who I, the, the person in question, I told this story to, and also I've also hit behind my wardrobe because of him. And he was like, so your psychosis was around me. How lucky. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> he felt felt like it a it was a compliment, and I was just like, "Yes, we need to fucking laugh about this." Of course, there's dark shit, and people lose their lives, and that's really, really important. And it's about reaching out to those people who are getting down that route. Yeah, absolutely. It's my favorite joke. Um, why do tweakers fuck doggy style? Don't so know. they can both peek out the window. <laughs> no, 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 no. I start looking over to my window now. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's so ha, how's like, have you seen a difference in lockdown with like, you see people tweaking and, and online or like on apps and so on in lockdown? Because there was very much like, 
I know a lot of recovery people is like, oh my God, everyone's going to go into lockdown and they're going to come out alcoholics because they're drinking more. This is like, not necessarily. They might drink a little bit more and maybe a little bit ashamed about it, but I don't think they become alcoholic just because of lockdown. But, but I, I, one thing I do appreciate is being clear-headed and sober in lockdown. I don't think I would have handled that very well. Oh, it would have been bad, yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems like, I, I don't know, my, my perception is that it seems a lot worse, at least on the apps, in terms of people hitting me up to party, yeah. or overtly just like, first question, can you help me find some G yeah. or T or whatever, um, which has never happened to me before, that overtly. Um, but I also know that... Um, I'm playing as a dom and as a top now, so <laughs> there's a lot more interest, I guess. <laughs> so uh, top privilege, that's a real thing, y'all, top privilege. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. There's way yeah. more bottoms than the tops. It's just yeah. the way it is. Um, yeah. So you are, uh, we, we found a unicorn, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but but how how, what triggered that change in you? Because that is going from one end to the other end, really. Um, I had always been a little bit of a switch. Uh, my old screen name was Alpha Sub. Um, and, um, you know, I think it just had to do with the degree of confidence and having been through. Like, I had, you know, I've been to um, a lot of fetish events and I've navigated and planned a lot of scenes as a sub or as a slave. Mm. But for me, the experience of living day to day with a master, um, it, it just, it led itself to much more dynamic, unplanned kind of power exchange moments. And mm. I realized how much I loved that. And, um, and it, I guess it just sort of empowered my mind to run with, well, what happens when I apply this to my switch side and what happens is it fucking took over. <laughs> um, I, I love it. And uh, I can spend, you know, I, I spend time to sit here like in my head, like plotting terrible things to do to people. And <laughs> you elaborate, do elaborate. Let's, let's do some of those terrible things. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, I keep ordering things at 3 a.m. online, <laughs> like rope and an electro like I just ordered an e-stim urethra thing and like I'm all over the place. I, yeah. I once once tried someone trying to sound me it just touched the tip of my head and I just said stop <laughs> it's not my thing I may have not met the right guy to do it with I don't know but just try it. it just try it I think it's my, I, I think it's quite like a minor this, thing so I don't know <laughs> It doesn't sit very well with me. But to be honest, I, as I mentioned, I just came from a barbecue at a friend's place. Um, he lives with uh, two guys who have now taken the playroom down and selling off most of their toys because they've kind of moved on from it. So I have a big bag in the kitchen of all sorts of fun goodies at the moment. And he, I, I inherited them. <laughs> there's some nipple clamps, there's some very big dildos, which I have no idea how I'm going to get in my ass. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not that much of a big player when it comes to house play, but I just look at it and going, "Ooh, that's a challenge." Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I'm with bondage. I have so much interest and no experience, but I'm certainly game to try. See, I, I, I used to be a puppy. I, I moved here to live with a, a couple, 
um, who now live in uh, in France instead. Um, and the first year, year two, the poppy dynamic was very good and it worked. But I'm also really stubborn and and not really a good sub when it comes to things and especially like. Permanent. Isn't that what a puppy is, though? Like being a sub and not really a sub. <laughs> well, yes, but also I, I was I was very naughty. I I didn't really listen and and I didn't do what I did what I wanted to do, kind of thing. So the puppy dynamic went out the window quite quickly, really. Um, so it more turned into a relationship than anything. Um, but oh, I went a little bit dry there. Um, let me just get something to drink. So, one thing I'm looking forward to, and I hope to, when it comes back next year, IML. Last time I was at IML, uh, which was 2017, I don't remember much. Um, I wish I'd engaged with the mucktail parties. I wish I'd engaged with lore. I wished I'd engaged with a lot of things. But four days later, not actually having a room at the hotel, but not leaving, um, I went to an airport and went to the wrong one as well. Uh, <laughs> I went to a hair, but I was going to city. And I was sweating buckets. And, and I'm sure the person behind the desk thought I was crazy. Um, but one thing I, I, I so want to do is, is reclaim that space because it has such fond memories as, as someone who's competed at IML, someone who's volunteered at IML in 2010 and being back in, um, well, the third time was this messy time. Um, not that all of it was bad and horrible and horrific, but it was just messy and not what I wanted it to be. Um, what would you suggest to someone who's never done fetish and a little bit scared of going to IML? What, who would you suggest they engage with to kind of go in with like dipping your toe, if you could say? <laughs> IML is a tough one because there's so much going on and so many people with long relationships. And I mean, a lot of play happens, but um, there, there's just, and, and on top of it, there's a circuit party, which is almost a whole different crowd of people yeah. that sort of aren't necessarily related to any of the people there during the day. So there's a lot going on, um, and it kind of is what you make it. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, all the there's two meetings a day. I mean, you can make it a fucking roundup if you want to. Um, there's um, you know all the lore events we have, and um, all the clubs. You know, whether it's Chicago Hellfire, Chicago Rubbermen. Um, you know, there's there's great if you actually engage in the schedule versus just going and trying to like. I've, I've talked to guys at IML going there's a contest. <laughs> right, right. Yes, that kind yeah. of people, yeah. But if you actually engage in the social events on the calendar, you could go and meet people who are looking to play, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. One thing I've tried, at least here in London, is if I go to a fetish event where there is gonna be alcohol and probably drug taking, I normally engage with the organizer and just go, it's the non-alcoholic drinks, non-alcoholic beer, Red Bull, whatever you want to drink, cola, juice, stuff like that, which is important. Uh, but I also tend to like go on my group and just go, if you're going, I am also going. If you want to meet up, if you want to have someone to check in with, because there is not really any sober parties here. 
of sorts. I've organized a couple of sober socials, which I call hashtag going in dry, which I think is a bit funny. Um, which is, is, is big fair, big fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I literally asked on the group, what should I call an event that's sober for fetish men? And someone just <coughs> went going in dry. I was like, yeah, I'll take that one. That makes people laugh when they read it and it, it stands out on a poster. Um, and do you know what? Most of the organizers here, at least in England, have been so open to it. Recon are amazing. They are so open to it right away uh, because they know there's an issue. Right. And they would be blind if they didn't know it goes on on their, their side and so on. So they need to engage with it. Yeah. Um, if I can, I also want to specifically call out CLAW, the event CLAW in Cleveland. Um, it's a very large leather event. There is no um, contest associated with it. It's intended to, it was originally intended to be sort of a training grounds for the contestants, supposedly. I don't know, that's what I heard. Training grounds, it's like Hunger Games. But, <laughs> so, but they have uh, an incredible educational program. They have all these panels. I mean, I've gone and taken, um, a class specifically on taking cigar hot ash, you know? So they have very specific That's things. very yeah. specific. Yeah, so you can go and learn all kinds of things. But of all the events I've been to, um, well, all of the open leather events, I've also been to one or two private events, but of all the open leather events I've been to, that one is the one where I actually find people looking to play who are sort of clear-headed um, and, um, you know, who will engage in really interesting, fun forms of play. It's, it's, was it Claude that did a completely online thing recently? I think they did. Yeah, yeah. They, they had classes. I know uh, Dave did a shout out for the group, which was lovely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any promotion is great. Um, it's, 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 it's definitely interesting to see uh, different people and different reasons for being sober or choosing not to drink. I've had several guests on here. One was diabetic, so they didn't choose, they choose not to drink because of the sugar. Um, I have some people that do social drinking, which is fine. I, I have no issue with that. It's more about clear headed play and not necessarily if they go for a meal with a glass of wine. That's not what I'm out to, to say, oh, all things are bad, don't do it. It's, it's, that's where you get into trouble when you start lifting fingers at people. <laughs> Because that's when you revolt and go, well, you're not going to tell me. That's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, I just want to play with fun people that I, that can actually be present for it. So, yeah. I, I find nowadays it's, it's some, some sober guys I know, uh, one of my, my good mates, uh, Nick, who's now trying, has set up a lore of Europe. You might okay. know Nick. Oh, yeah, Very yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, when he talks about when he goes to events and so on, and he has this group of nine men, and they're like getting all up to all sorts of things. It's like, where were all these people when I was off my face? I, I need those people. Where were they? Um, because I'm, I'm naturally a shy person, says the guy on Instagram Live. Um, but it's, it's, it can be very intimidating when you walk into a room, especially if you're sober. Right. Because especially if... Uh, Adam just went, I love Nick. Yes, a lot of people love Nick, I'm sure. All 10 feet of them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just to, uh, there's someone that's put in a question. Let me just see what that is. 
that's someone that's just spamming about products. We don't want to engage with that. <laughs> I'm in India and I'm making lever. I was like, no, I'm not buying anything. Um, but it's 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 nice to hear like fetish men who's so in tune with themselves and know what they want and 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 I hope to get there someday. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I'm still learning things. There's definitely things I have trouble engaging with. It's like as a sub, sometimes that power dynamic can be not triggering, but it can leave me feeling a bit vulnerable afterwards. And some people are just not good at picking up at that. Or maybe I've just played with the wrong people. But that's, yeah. it's trial and error sometimes. Yeah. I have to say, uh, um, in my time as a slave, that is the biggest single thing I learned was, um, I, you know, I was only with this guy for two months. And, but I learned how, you know, the process of getting beat and having endorphins and having aftercare, it's, it is so bonding. It is the most bonding experience that a human can experience. I really believe that, um, you know, when this relationship ended, which was not very long, it just destroyed me. Um, and I mean, I got through it, but, um, you know, it, like I had heard very experienced long-term players talk about how important aftercare is. And, you know, prior to that, I was like, oh, that's nice. Like, it's really nice. But now I'm like, oh, holy shit. It really is about this bond, this connection you form with another person when you play at this level. It, it's really unique and really special for us. It's, it's, it's all that about surrendering yourself to someone else and yeah. seeing them fully. That they, yes, they will give you a beating, but it's not gonna, they're not beating you up. It's not abuse of that sort. It's, it's, there's a very fine line when it goes from something that's sexual and pleasurable to something that's abusive. And that's, it requires a good master not to have set that boundary. Yeah, well, and for me, the, the thing I've been learning recently has to do with how it's so vulnerable um, for me to come to a guy and say, you know, you know, I need to beat somebody up to come, you know, that's what I need. Like, it's kind of scary, you know, and no, when that, no, I, I when it. that guy comes to me and says, you know, I want you to make, to beat me till I cry. Like that is profound vulnerability that two people share. Oh, do you know right? what? One of the best sessions I ever had was with this French guy who barely spoke, spoke English, <laughs> to be honest, which made the communication a little bit difficult but I got him to a point of crying, where when he started crying, I took him in and just hold him in a hug and just whispered in his ear, thank you. And that was, that's the aftercare you need. You need to, right. you, you need to push them out, but then you need to take them back in again. If you just leave them hanging out there, it's not good for them. Um, I've definitely made mistakes on alcohol, where I've been an asshole and not pulled someone in um and and well this puppy did bark back which was absolutely okay and they should do that because <laughs> i was being a horrible oh, puppy oh the puppy completely threw a tantrum yeah which was perfectly valid it was so valid of them because i was too drunk and i was being stupid 
Right. And that's where like sober play is so important, especially with power dynamics. Someone oh, asked, yeah. can you give a little bit more examples on aftercare? Um, I think it depends on the scene. I mean, like the thing that most SM players talk about is the need, you know, to, to have the salve, to, you know, to treat the wounds or to, you know, you know, engage with them in some way, sort of romantically or whatever. I don't know how to describe it. Um, you know, but, but to me, there's an emotional component of being completely present to that person. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I, personally, I don't think that's the time to talk about the scene, like how it went, because like, I'm a big fan of that. I think that should come later, like separately. Um, but I do think um, it, it's worth, you know, addressing the, if anything really extreme happens, like, you know, hey, this happened, hope you're okay, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, for me, it's mainly emotional um, because it's it's so vulnerable, the kind of play I like to engage in. Everyone from the outside looking at S&M, they see the extreme. And to me, the extreme physical things, you know, the whips, the chains, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, that's not the extreme thing. The extreme thing is sharing with somebody that I like this. Like, that's risky. Yeah. Um, and most people, for all, for all the queens out there that put on harnesses, how many of them actually do real play? You know what I mean? It's that's, not that that's, thing. No, that's what I would refer to as a disco harness. Right. Um, disco which harness. is fine. That's perfectly fine. And it's very sure. valid. And, and do, do you kind of thing. But I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as fetish. It looks nice on a torso that's well built. And of course, it's nice to hold when you're fucking them hard. But... That's there's, a, there's a little bit of appropriation going on there, but whatever. But that, you know, all fine. If it develops into something, amazing. Absolutely. You sure. have to start somewhere. I, yeah. I think my first outfit was, I started with skinhead gear because that's jeans and it's a little bit cheaper. Um, it's, it's, it's about finding where your path leads. But yeah, harnesses has been borrowed, you can say. Yeah. Borrowed. Yeah, sure. I try not to judge other people on what they choose to wear. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was thinking, it's just too warm. I can't think my, my brain function today. It's just, ugh, I'm literally, I'm wet. It's, it's horrible. Um, oh, that's sweet of you to say. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> It's a handsome man on my camera, so it's oh. on my phone, so I can't complain. Um, so, the boy you're with, um, do you have a boy, or do you, are you just a master at the moment, or do you have anything permanent? Um, I have a few I'm training. <laughs> you have a few. You have um, a no particular one. No uh, particular that's... one. No I'll, I'll send you my application afterwards. It's fine. <laughs> I think you might scare me, to be honest. Maybe. But that's fine. It's okay to be scared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fear find... is what's hot, so. Oh, oh, do you know what? If, if I see fear in a boy's eyes, I get hard. It, it's, it's there. It's, it's, I, there's definitely things um, when I was using um, that was so connected to some of the more darker stuff. So I kind of had to step away from that for a little bit. I'm re-engaging with some of the more darker sides of my fantasies and role plays and so on I like now. 
but I also have to check myself. Am I doing it for the right reasons? Am I gonna go on a slippery slope down to where it needs to be connected with this certain thing further on? Do you find sometimes when, when you were using 16 years ago, some of the darkest stuff, did you have to relearn some of that stuff so it wasn't connected to that? Uh, sure. Um, I had to kind of start from zero, like really completely <laughs> hard reset everything. Um, but I'll tell you, for me, it, honestly, it's easy. Um, for me personally, it comes down to I, um, and I'm lucky that my own values and my sexuality align here. I think it's possible not all people have that, but yeah. personally, for me, it comes down to am I fetishizing harm? Like I have zero interest in like pretending to, to like actually just hurt you. Because um, to me, it's about that engagement and um, the power exchange and the exchange of pain and pleasure and all that stuff. Like, that's hot to me. Just like fetishizing that I'm like going to kill you or, or, or just really harm you in some way. I have no interest in that. So I, I feel quite lucky because I can imagine being turned, you know, I can imagine having that fetish. But I just don't have that particular one. So um, for, for me, that's, it's quite simple, which aligns pretty well with, you know, being a 12-stepper, you know, the, the line of harm, you know, that's kind of a line that we draw in, in yeah, yeah. the way we do spiritual work. So um, it just aligns easily for me, so. And, and how, how, um, how easy do you find it integrating with your fetish life to the ways of the 12 steps and so on? Not to get into details of that, but. Oh my God, it's completely, I would say my fetish life is driven by my 12-step work um, because so many of the, things that hold me back as um, as a kingster, as a leatherman, have to do with, um, you know, fears, self-doubt, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, in my 12-step work, it's like, you know, 12-step 12, 12 stuff is like, you don't have time for that. Live your fucking life. Move on. Move on. And so I just have to step into creating the life that I want for myself. And, mm. and part of that life is, you know, you know, I spent a lot of years playing what I call leather dress up. You know what I mean? Like I was in the leather community, I'd go to events and I would play, but all the money and, and time and energy I actually spent on just looking the leather part, right? I didn't actually buy toys, right? And that's something I've been working on this year is actually building a dungeon for myself. So I'm not sitting around waiting for some other guy to have the things, Absolutely. to do the things I wanna do, right? I have them myself and I can create the life for myself that I want. And that's completely 12-step work for me personally. That's, that's exactly what I'm working on, is creating the relationships and the life I want for myself. So it, it's one and the same for me. That's great. Because it's, it's one, one of the things also living on my own now is, is I have the, some of the equipment I want to, if I engage in a scene, I have a dog cage, massive ass fucking dog cage sitting just next to me here cast iron shit thing it was a very interesting conversation with my mother when she walked into the living room but that <laughs> doesn't really matter she's very open-minded and it's okay um but it's 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 because you're danish <laughs> yeah we're very liberal uh, um she was like eh, what's that it's fine you have a big dog i don't know um <laughs> No, I love my mother. She's perfect. She knows about all this, so it's fine. Um, it's it's we're coming down to the, at the end of our time, um, and it's been really lovely to have you on, and and hear some of your story and and some of the fetish you do, and 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 
I'm very intrigued. <laughs> Maybe a little bit nervous as well. Um, but curious. I would like to see that dungeon next time I'm in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> it's there. Um, but it's, it's what, what would your suggestion be to someone who you might have gotten a little bit off stray and they do want to engage with fetish, but they still a little bit nervous about the drug thing. What would you, your suggestion be to someone like that? What would be the first good step to do on that? Um, two things. Number one is, <clears throat> this is my like theme of the year, is fantasy is the enemy of reality. Like I can't spend time talking to people like forever away pretending that something's gonna happen. I need to actually create what I want to happen. Um, and, and it's a little bit humbling because very often the step between it's, you know, it's, it's baby steps where fantasy can go really far, but you know, it's, it's baby steps and trying um, things out. Um, but the other thing is, is connecting to community across the world for supportive environments, you know, like real, real cool fetish, I, I love what you're doing here. And a lot of the people who are interested in this kind of work are the people who can be there for you and support you and are interested in building this kind of community and this kind of play. So, um, you know, I think the solution is exactly in the kind of work that we're surrounded by or, or we surround ourselves by. So I, I will echo the whole fantasy thing. I talk with guys all the time where it's like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And it's like, breathe, have a wank, and then come back to me. That's the most important bit because Fantasy and reality are two very different things, and you might not want it when you come. That yeah. that's, might be the way you panic. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I'm sure we will talk another time as well. It would be amazing. I hope so. Uh, and you have a good, great day. All right, you too, sir. Bye. Thank you for everyone who watched. It's been absolutely a pleasure to have Matthew on. Um, it, it was a really interesting conversation about Bossy Bottom. You cheeky bastard, Adam. Um, but it was just nice to hear someone who's gone from being submissive to being a proper evil master. I'm a little bit nervous, but also excited. Um, but it's so important to talk about these things and feel safe and um, do it with the right people. Um, someone like Matthew and me are out here to help people who want to engage with their fetish in a safe and healthy way um, and live out some of those fantasies without them taking over. Um, so I'm going to leave you there. It's been absolutely pleasure. A little bit warm. I'm going to get this off now because it's fucking boiling. And stay safe play safe and do it with a clear head. It's much more fun. Bye.